All right, and good morning to you. We are glad that you are here. Great crowd. Had a good crowd in first service, and we're grateful to be here. Now, I need to go ahead and warn you, this is business meeting Sunday. So at the end, we're going to tag on about a 12-minute business meeting. So I know that makes your heart palpitate, but hang on, okay? Just hang on. And, and I know it's not a big problem here, but I tell you, in first service, I just told them, I said, listen, we're going to finish this message today, and when we get done, you can go to small groups. If you need to leave, go ahead and leave. Um, because, like I said, this is a, it's a wonderful message. It just really is. I'm not saying it's easy for us, but it's a wonderful message. You might be able to tie a little bit in by Big Barnes, Little Barnes from Luke chapter 12, verse 15 through 21. I was going to call someone up here to help me, but I just don't want to put anybody on the spot. But, but you remember back in 2000, we had the undefeated state champion uh, Bulldog football team. Y'all remember that? And back in those days, okay, they had this little cheer, cheer they did, and it goes, Big dogs, little dogs, fluffy ear pups, come on, bulldogs, show your stuff. Isn't that pretty good? And so, yeah, so anyway, so when I saw Big Barnes, Little Barnes, it was a no-brainer, right? You know, Big Barnes, Little Barnes, Got too much stuff. Come on, church. It's all just fluff. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Put a skirt on me and give me some pom-poms and we are ready to go. So today we want to talk about big barns and little barns. And, and the big picture is going to be another one of those words that, that's kind of difficult. You remember how it is when a person will take the fingernails and scratch it on the chalkboard and you kind of you know, well, well, a couple of weeks ago, you know, we had the T word. Remember the T word with Malachi chapter three, and that was difficult. And in that sermon, it had that word cheat. Okay, and then and then I think we mentioned that day the word hypocrite. And those are words that just. Well, there's another word today um, that is the center of the message that we really need to talk about, and it's this word called greed. And I, you, don't, you just don't find people who want to, you know, I don't mind being called greedy. You know, I know I'm greedy. No, it's one of those words that we just don't want to hear about. But my goodness, the Word of God is so powerful in it, and we want to talk about, well, we want to talk about this. We haven't hardly mentioned this, where we said, better giving yields better living. And again, the bigger word today is not really giving, it's sharing. It's sharing. Instead of holding on to what God has given us, um, it's sharing uh, with those who might be around us. So our first teaching point says this, you know, it says, in a world where more is a possibility. Now, you do understand in a chunk of the world, the majority of the world, that makes no sense to them. You know, they wake up in the morning and they grow up and they, and, you know, they got one donkey or one mule or two sheep and no television. They, they cook millet on a fire or something else on a fire. They go out and work in the field and they come home. And in a lot of places in the world, that doesn't make any sense. But we, in our world, in our world, in Western culture, especially in the United States, this makes all the sense in the world. In, in a world where more is a possibility. It's a, it's a world where probably... It's a possibility. We need to learn how to handle our own successes. Because, did you know something? It is easier to handle failure than it is successes. We, we do better when we handle our failures than we do 
our successes because successes can have a bigger negative impact on us, okay? So I found this scripture, and I've read the Bible through several times, um, but I found this scripture, and I go, oh my goodness, this is a really, really good one. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, written by, by Solomon, okay, the smartest guy in the world, okay, the most wise guy in the world, says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves money just simply never has enough. You remember, well, you don't remember, but you've heard of John D. Rockefeller. And, you know, he was one of the titans of the 20s and 30s, richest man, one of the richest men in America. And he was asked one day, and you may know this, he was asked one day, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And you remember what he said? One dollar more. One dollar more. So if you find yourself enamored, we're going to talk about this later, when you find yourself enamored with money, Enough is just simply never enough. And then Solomon goes on and says this, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Whoever has wealth is never satisfied with their income. They always want more. I wrote this down. Um, It's original, but let me get to my paper so I won't misquote what I said, okay? Um, Those people, those people consumed by the latter. Now, you know what I mean by that? Climbing the ladder of success. I mean, I really saw this in the Air Force for 12 years. I mean, you would step on people on the way up. Whatever it took to make the next rank is what you did. Okay? Consume ladder. And we see it in corporations. We see it in, you know, see it in businesses. We see it um, in the banks. Hey, hey, students, you see that at school. You see at school. You know, somebody wants to be the most popular kid in school, they'll do anything. They'll lie and cheat on you. They'll gossip about you if it makes them look better. It's not just limited to students. It's also adults. So, so, so those consumed by the ladder never stop climbing enough to start living. Let that soak in. Those who are possessed and consumed by climbing the ladder never stop enough to live. How crazy good is that? Paul talks about it, the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, verse number 10, and he, you would think he probably read Solomon, which he probably did. Oh, and by the way, Solomon tagged on, you know, I didn't have it on the screen, but he tags on when he talked about, you know, if you love money, if you're possessed by wealth, you know, he goes, this is all meaningless. It's all meaningless. Well, Paul comes along and says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, now again, that's probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible because we all say, well, you know. The Bible says that money is the root of all evil, and of course it doesn't say that. Um, Money is neutral. Money is neutral. Money is just a tool um, that we use. Um, It becomes the monster, kind of appropriate around Halloween, um, it becomes the monster when we start loving money. See, so, so it's not money, it's neutral, but when we start loving money, then it is the root of all kinds of evil. And that is just, that is just so, so, so true. So true. So, so we need to be careful that we don't fall in love with money. Now, you know, I, I read somewhere where we people in America, we are constantly having affairs. And you go, Oh, how'd you know, Brother Dwayne? No, not that kind of affair. I'm not talking about your, your marriage. I'm talking your affair with dead presidents. You know, Washington, Benjamin, you know, Hamilton, those guys. Yeah, we had this love affair with dead 
presence. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, some people take this to an extreme, and some people craving money, got to have, got to have, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with much, much sorrow. Billy Graham had a quote, and this is where the chalkboard comes in. Um, Billy Graham said, The Bible sees greed as a form of idolatry. And he he explains why. He said, I like that because he says it, and then he said, well, this is why. Because a greedy person worships things instead of God. In other words, when you have a person who's possessed with greed, they are saying, I will do everything I can get for myself. Now, here's the crazy part. Here's the crazy part. Greed is not based on your income. Greed has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank, okay? Um, you could be the poorest person in town, and somebody goes, that would be me, okay? You know, you could be the poorest person in town and be the greediest person in town. You have a scarcity mentality, and you say, everything I collect has got to be mine. It's got to be mine. Uh, those who were raised in the Great Depression really wrestled with the scarcity mentality. They grew up a time when they were lucky to have a meal. And so as they became adults, then they, they said, you know, got to have, got to have, greedy, okay? So greedy, you could be the poorest person in town. But watch this. You could also be the richest person in town. Because one, one you say, I've got to have, got to have, and you've got to guard, you've got to guard, you've got to guard. So, so greed is, is neutral. It doesn't care if you're the richest person or the poorest person. It can be a big factor in your life. In fact, the safest place is somewhere in the middle. But isn't it true? At some time or another, we all wrestle with greed. We all wrestle with greed. Andy Stanley says this. And it's a good one. Greed, greed, um, the amassment, the, the amassment, I'm going to use it. Why not? I get to make words up. The amassment of stuff for me and mine. Me and mine. Greed is the assumption that everything placed in our hands is for our consumption. Isn't that true in America? I mean, obviously, obviously, if we, if we get more, it's obviously for us. Everything, you know, it's the assumption that everything placed in our hands is for our consumption. And so, so Jesus comes along, okay? Jesus comes along and then tells this story. Now, the setup is this. You may not know the setup, but you'll know the story. Um, the big barns, little barns. So the setup was this. Jesus is teaching, and, and some dude out in the congregation, ooh, 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 ooh. And Jesus said, yeah, man, what's up? I didn't say it that way. It's, yeah. He says, listen, tell my brother to, defy, to divide the inheritance that we got. In other words, you know, daddy had died, and so they wanted, he wanted a bigger share of the inheritance. And Jesus said, dude, who's made me ruler over that? Who made me a judge over that? That's not my deal. Okay? And then he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, this is so good. He says, he then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Now, do you see something? I'm going to ask you this question several times. Do you see something there? Yeah, it's a double warning. Do you see it? Watch out, be on guard. Now, when, when God's word says something once, it's important. But when he says it twice, 
We need to pay attention. So here's not Peter, here's not Paul, here's not John, here's not Billy Graham, here's not Dwayne. The Word of God, Jesus, these letters would be in red if you've got the Red Edition Bible. Okay, these are letters in red. And Jesus says, listen, double whammy, watch out and be on guard. Okay, you know, Jesus, what should, we, what should we watch out and be on guard for? Watch out and be on guard against all greed. Some translations lays it out there real plain for us and says, watch out and be on guard for all kinds of greed. Because you see, there are all kinds of greed. There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, and there's not a slide for this one, so I'll read it twice for you. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus is talking. And again, it's Jesus, letters in red, okay? He says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. Let me read it to you again, okay? Beware, there's that warning word. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. Now, I know this it's a different context, but the bottom line is, here Jesus is saying, be careful. No matter how it looks, be careful. And I'm telling you, greed can look harmless. In fact, greed can look almost good because it might be, well, you know, I struggled as a, as a child, so I want my children to have everything I didn't have. And that is noble. That is noble, except for when that causes you to bring it in. I can't share because everything I've got needs to go to make sure my children have it better than I did. You know, I grew up in a shack. I don't want to live in a shack. So I think I deserve a bigger, better house. Um, I drove, you could be like your pastor, whose first car was a 1962 Rambler paint royal blue with a paintbrush and no floorboards. Y'all got these fancy cars you didn't have a 1962 Rambler with no floorboards. But you know what? My sister gave it to me. So, so because that was my first car, surely I deserve a better car, a newer car. Um, I was teasing uh, uh, Katie Disney about she has one of those jackets on with holes in it. Now, back when I was a kid, you know, you had holes in it. It's because it had been passed down to seven kids. Okay, but now you pay extra to have holes in your clothes. But you might say, if you're, if you're my age, you might say, well, because I didn't have good clothes as a child, I deserve good clothes. So we can disguise it so it looks good. Just beware, beware that no matter how good it looks, greed is not pretty. Greed, greed is not even justifiable. Not justifiable, okay? So... He then told them, watch out and be on guard against greed. This is worth the price of admission. This is so counter... I mean, Jesus would have set crossways in the road with our culture and that culture. He would have, he would have turned his car sideways and blocked the traffic with this statement. Because one's life is not... Someone say not. One's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. What? No. Have you read American culture? Don't you know the one with the most toys in the end wins? Don't you know the guy with the biggest house? Don't you know the fanciest car? What? No. Jesus said it's not that. And trust me, you know, I, 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 is, is Peggy here today? 
It was really funny last week. You remember Peggy, Peggy that's what we talked about, the Joneses? And I said, remember I said, keeping up with the Joneses? I said, the lady you're trying to keep up with is sitting right over there. When she came up after church, she said, Brother Dwayne, I want you to know this, and I knew this, that this, this, this Joneses drives a 2007 or 5. 7? A 2007 car. I said, but Peggy, it's a nice 2007 car. She said, you know, not keep up with the Joneses. Well, your pastor, I want to know something, your pastor, because I really think you need to know where I am. Okay, so the pastor that that's, that you serve under here or serve with here drives a, a seven seven year old car. Okay, um, but man, it's a nice looking seven year old car. And, and I walk out there. I mean, I'm, I'm just I look at it and I say, God, thank you for giving me this car because it looks sharp. It really, really does. It really does. It was a thirty thousand dollar car, and it was like three and a half years old. And I paid twelve thousand dollars for it. Wrote a check for it. Wow, how about that? Well, that's nothing. I was pulling out of, out of Sam's Club. So as I, you know, how they got the gas station there? Well, I was coming up in my 2015 Volkswagen, feeling pretty good about it too, buddy. And so this car kind of pulls out in front of me, and I get behind it and realize it is a really nice BMW. It's probably one of those 125,000 BMWs, wide track, all of that. I said, hmm. Now, I didn't go. I didn't go. I didn't go. Wish I could have a car like that. It wasn't about that at all. I said, wow. How about that? How, what would it be like to drive a car like that? You know? Well, she pulls out, Brent. You don't like this because you're a car person. So she pulls out and kind of mashes the gas a little bit. And I found out she's trying to catch up with the person in front of her who was driving a Maserati. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so we've got this $140,000 car with about a, probably a $180,000 or $90,000 car, you know, $2.5 million worth of cars sitting there. I said, oh, my gosh, how, how did they reach the point, okay? What was it about? Was it about transportation or was it about making a statement? Just remember this. Your one's life, you're not a less of a person because you drive a Chevrolet. Come on now. You are not less of a person because of the label on your clothes. And students, y'all need to get this. I know, you know, we, we want the labels, we want this, we want that. But you are not, your life's not determined, your value's not determined by the labels. Amen. Let me tell you how valuable you are. You know, anybody like know how valuable you are? Yeah, come on, well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You're so valuable that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a Roman cross for you. That's how valuable you are. Amen. Don't you dare think stuff determines the abundance of your life. No, God's love for you determines the value of your life. So it simply says... He told them a parable. He told them a story to teach them a truth. And this is the part you know. So in Luke chapter 12, verse 16, the second part, okay, he says, a rich man's land was very productive. Now, there's two things there that might grab your attention and maybe not. The first thing is this, a rich man's Land. Now, that clearly implies that the land belonged to who? 
the rich man. I don't spoil the story there, okay? No, no, no. No, it says a rich man's land. So, so the assumption is, oh, there was a man who owned a bunch of good land, okay? Here's the problem. Psalm 24, uh, verse number 1, says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So in reality, in reality, whose land was it? Now you can say it. It was God's land. It was God's land. All right, here's a big truth. Just just grab a hold of this. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you can take a nap, okay? But if you are a Jesus follower, we've got to understand that everything belongs to God, okay? Everything belongs to God. The house, the cars, the clothes, even your, in fact, that you have a, a career, the fact that you have a job, you know, even, you know, I love the songs that now say, uh, the air that we breathe is God's. The air that we breathe is God's. So, so it wasn't the rich man's, it was God's. And everything we own belongs to God. Now, that is a game changer if we allow that to permeate our being. Okay, the second thing. A rich man's land was very productive. Let me ask you another question. Who made the land productive? God did. You're right. Boy, you're on a roll, dude. Yeah, yeah. God did. It wasn't, it wasn't the man, okay? God decided to bless this dude with a productive farm. And so the bumper crop that he harvested was God working. That song says so well, you're working, you're working, you're working, and God is working. So here's the deal. God owns everything you think you own, and the blessings that you're enjoying were given to you by God. Okay, it's just the truth. Now, enjoy that. Rest in that. Remember, remember, 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, God has given us all things to richly enjoy. So this is not a guilt trip. God gave you stuff to enjoy, okay? Just make sure the stuff doesn't own you. Make sure it doesn't own you. So, so we have this dude, okay, and this land, and the Bible says it was very, very productive. Now, let's, let's look again at the 16B, I'm sorry. Let's look at 1715, where it does, I'm going to go back that one more time, okay? This is the one you don't have, Nancy, okay? Remember this, okay? that false prophets can look very attractive. Follow that in. Okay, let's see what's next. Let's see what we're not. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16b, then we have the teaching point. I'm getting there, Nancy. Our next teaching point is this. In the upside-down kingdom, in the upside-down kingdom. Now, you know we live in an upside-down culture. What was right is wrong, and what was wrong now it's right. We live in an upside-down culture. But that is not what this teaches. In the upside-down kingdom, unexpected gain is often not an opportunity to consume, but an unexpected opportunity to share. And I love that word share because I didn't want this to be about giving. In other words, when God puts an extra special blessing in our lives, okay, it may not be for our consumption. It may not just be so we can get more. It might be and is, okay, to share it with those around us. So in verse number 17, he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Now, this is something the Lord showed me this morning I think is huge. With, I want to encourage you 
to write this down. Do you see it? Is it? you get it there? He thought to himself. So he's having this conversation, and the conversation is a monologue. It's not a dialogue. He's having this, y'all, y'all talk to yourselves? I really do. I really don't. What do you think? I don't know. You know, great conversations, you know. So he's having this monologue, and he's thinking to himself. And he says to himself, it's a monologue, you know, what shall I do? What shall I do? All right, here's the big flash. Are you ready? We need to start having monologues and have dialogues. When we are facing these decisions, um, whether it be a career change, when or when not to retire, to buy a new home, a bigger home, um, you know, what shall we do? A bigger car, newer car, what, what college to go to? Hey, students, who are you going to marry? That's a big one. Who are you going to marry? What, what does God want you to do with your life? All these things. You don't need to be having monologues, okay? You don't need to be talking with you. Well, what do you think? You need to be having a dialogue because a dialogue involves more than one and and the conversation you'd be having is between you and God. Hey, God, what do you think? Everything we do, every decision we make, it's not us because, one, it's not our stuff. He put the stuff in our hands. You know, it's about God. What do you want me to do? That's worth the price of admission today. So, so he's having this conversation. And by the way, when you, write this down. When you have a monologue, you're probably going to make mistakes. Okay? James chapter 1 says clearly, If any man ask, or if, if any man lack wisdom, let him figure it out. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God. And when you start asking God questions, you go from monologue to dialogue, and you are going to make better decisions. So, so, so he goes there, you know, what shall I do? I don't have anywhere to store my crops. In other words, his barns were stuffed full. And so, so he's got this, this problem, what should I do with all this grain I now got? Mark Batterson says something that's so wise. You know, he says this, when God blesses you financially... All, all of them come from God. When, when God blesses you financially, don't necessarily raise your standard of living. Rather, consider, just consider, consider raising your standard of giving. And, and, and trust me, I would put the where, because I know we're still kind of ouching from two weeks ago when we talked about the T word in Malachi chapter 3, and we've heard too much about giving. If I could have put sharing in there, I would. But one, that's not what he said. And two, it didn't rhyme. It didn't rhyme. So, when God blesses us financially, we need to ask ourselves, you know, okay, do I raise my standard of living, or maybe some, or do I raise my standard of giving? Well, this dude, this dude says this. Well, here's what I'm going to do in verse 18. Here's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Now, if you're into finances, if you say, I'm one of the, you know, Judy's one of these people. She really researches and tries to help us make wise decisions. And so maybe you're one of those people, you really try to make wise decisions. Do you see a flaw here? Let me tell you. He's got barns full of stuff, okay? And so he says, what shall I do? He said, 
I'm going to tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and store all my grain and my goods. So here's what I want you to get. Number one, number one. A, in order to do his plan, he's going to have to go to the local uh, granary bins and say, how much will you charge me to store my grain? Because I'm going to tear down my barns, which are stuffed full to the gills with grain, and I've got to have someplace to put it temporarily. So how much will you now charge me to store my grain temporarily? Is that a wise decision? Doesn't sound too wise. Then he's going to tear down the barns he has. He is willing to take a 100% loss on what he has. Don't ask me why he didn't build around them. Don't ask why he didn't try to sell them. He just, well, you know why he didn't? Because when you're in a monologue, you make unwise decisions. That's why. So he's willing to take a 100% loss on the barns that he's got, okay? Then he's going to have the investment. He's going down to barns or one of these lumber places, perhaps Lowe's or Home Depot, and buy a whole bunch of supplies. And then he's going to hire some people to build a new barn. Also, he can store his grain. We tend to make poor decisions when we have monologues. Remember that. Remember that. I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain there. And I'm sure, by the way, he rationalized it. You know what he said? He said, he said in his mind, because he had this conversation with himself, he says, does this really make sense? Of course it does, because the barns that I have are inadequate. It's inadequate. So I need to make, I need to build adequate barns. Adequate barns. You know, do you know how many people have, have again, please forgive me, traded cars bought new houses, all these different things based on what we have is inadequate. Based on what we have. And that justifies. He could justify doing, even though it was a poor financial condition, he could, ooh, even though it was a poor financial decision, he was able to justify. Has anybody ever done that before? I ain't got time to tell you the story, but I did. I made a really bad financial decision. So listen, I know about this. I know about this. But, but he was able to justify because he said, what I've got is just simply not adequate. So what's our teaching point? Our teaching point says this. My barns, my grain, my goods. My barns, my grains, my good. Here it is. Before you tear down a perfectly good barn just to build another, you might consider the possibility that God has another plan. Before you tear down a perfectly good barn, be, before you make a financial decision that may put stress in your life, financially or otherwise, okay, you might consider God. Now, this is to Jesus followers. You might consider that God has another possibility. Well, verse 19. He said, then I'll say to myself, this conversation continues. 
this, this monologue. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. There's a big message there. Many years, many goods. That's, that's a really big message. But before I get there, here's what happened this morning. Will you trust me that I'm telling you the truth? This was a ground shaker for me. I'm not ready to retire. I'm not ready to leave you guys. You need to hear that from me. I am not ready to go anywhere. I'm having the time of my life. And as long as you want me and God says it's okay, I'm going to stick around. Okay? But at the same time... Oh, thank you. But at the same time, I'm 68 years old. So, yeah, Jane and I have talked about this a lot. You know? And so, so we've talked about, well, what does the future look like? And da-da-da, and how can we afford this? And how can we do that? And then this. And I realized... I've said this so many times, you know. Dwayne, you, you need to make sure you've got enough goods stored up. And, and trust me, it's so funny, you know, preachers don't retire. People tell me all the time, you know preachers don't retire. Uh, I, know, I know we want to retire. I love teaching. I want, I want to teach every weekend that I can teach because I just love it. I just love it. But at the same time, this sneaks into your brain. You've got many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat drink, and enjoy yourself. And boom. You know what instantly popped in my brain? I called Judy in. This morning. I said, Judy, read that. And she did. I said, what do you see? She goes, you know what it is, don't you? It's the American retirement dream. Isn't it true? We work hard for so many years. We amass many goods because we're expecting to live many years. And the purpose of that is so we can take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. It's the American Retirement dream. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with retirement. Okay? And for, and for the world, that fits fine. But I'm going to be very candid. It don't fit good for us. See, we should not look forward to taking it easy, eating and drinking and enjoying ourselves. We should look forward to the next chapter God has for us. That's what retirement is for the believer. It's not just golf, and there's nothing wrong with golf. You will want me on your team, but there's nothing wrong with golf. There's nothing wrong with fishing. There's nothing wrong with boats. There's nothing wrong with trips to Florida. There's nothing wrong with Winnebago. But when those things become your retirement, you've missed something. You've got to ask yourself, what's the next chapter? God, what do you want us to do with our retirement? What do you want us to do? And, and I know some of y'all are like like. 50, 40, and you're looking forward, you need to be planning this. You know, when you come to the point you've got the stuff and you've got, you know, you think years, don't, you, don't be satisfied with just taking it easy. Be satisfied with saying, God, what's the next chapter? Well, the big truth, the, the big truth is really in the teaching point. You know, he said this. The man assumed that much wealth equated to much time. 
You, did you hear what he said? You know, oh, oh, I've amassed much good for many years. So I'm going to take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy myself. He assumed that because he had a lot of money, he had a lot of time. Guess what? He was wrong. He was wrong. I don't know who the lady was. She was a teacher. And we all grieved because I, if I remember the story right, she retired on Friday and died on Monday. Prepared all those years and then didn't get to enjoy it. And it grieved my heart. I bet it grieved yours if you knew the story. We don't know how much time. You know, I wrote a blog. I write that Grits blog. And it's one of my favorite misquoted verses. You know, where we say, you know, that when Jesus is looking at Judas and Jesus is fixing to betray him and Jesus says, hey, whatever you're going to do, do it in a hurry. Whatever you're going to do, do it in a hurry. It's totally out of context. But look at me. Whatever we are going to do for God, we've got to do it in a hurry. Because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised next year. We're all worried about how much money can we have? Do we have enough retirement to see us to this point, and that's wisdom. I know that. But what are we going to do for God? We got to do now. Our health could fail. Our health could fail. We just don't know, do we? So whatever we're going to do, we need to do now. He equated much wealth, much money, to much time, and he was wrong. And then there's the bombshell. Look what Jesus says. But God said, who said? God. God, yeah, this is diff. This is a good difficult. But God said to him, you fool. Remember the, the Psalm 14 scripture? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, no God. Well, this dude was living like a practical atheist. So God said to him, you fool, this very night. When? Yes. Yeah, this very night. Not, not, listen, not a month. Not a week, not a year, not three years, not five years, not ten years, not fifteen years. This very night, your life is demanded of you. You remember the story from Daniel chapter 5 when Belshazzar was using the cups from the temple to, to drink wine with his buddies and a hand appears and writes on the wall. You've been, found, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Your kingdom is being divided between the Medes and the Perds. You ever heard the saying, the handwriting's on the wall? That's where it comes from. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose shall they be? Whose shall they be? So, the point is this, our teaching point. The answer to Jesus' question is always this. Somebody else. Everything you own, everything I own. Students, I know you're thinking, this has nothing to do with me. I'm 14. Well, we don't know. But everything you own will someday belong to somebody else. You know, you're going to work hard. You're going to get a job. Your parents will be glad when you do that. Your parents will get a job, and you're going to have a great career, and you're going to make a lot of money, you're going to have a great family, you're going to have kids, and you're going to amass some wealth, okay? 
And then one day, you won't be here anymore. And all that stuff, guess who's going to own it? Not you. Yeah, not you, honey. You won't. Because you're going to be in heaven. And you can't take it with you. But guess what you can do? You can send it ahead. You can send it ahead. So the question is, somebody else. And like, did you hear what I said to the, to the group here? We can't take it with us. But we can send it ahead. And how do we send it ahead? By sharing in the kingdom's name. Okay, are you ready for the last one? <laughs> I'm so far in the red, I can't even read it. All right? All right, here's the, here's the last one. In verse 21, Jesus said, that's how it is, what you've just heard. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. By the way, you want the best part? Oh, please, Dwayne, we want the best part. He's not talking about giving to the church. He's talking about giving to others. He's talking, doing what Jesus did, and Jesus was a giver and a sharer to other people. We're rich toward God when we love others. Yeah. 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 But he goes, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself. Me, I. Ours is not rich toward God. Wow. So, so for us Jesus people, Jesus followers, this is golden. Remember, better giving yields better living. You know, Jesus said, I think it's in next week's sermon, so I got to be careful. It's on generosity next week. Um, you know, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. And it's true. You, you've probably, most of you experienced it. You, you get the little food bag out here. There's some still here. And you see the guy with the sign. And you're able to roll down your window and give him that bag. And you say, God bless you, friend. That, that warm, fuzzy feeling. You find somebody, a single mom with three kids who doesn't have any food in their cupboards. And you go buy them food. And you take it and leave them on the porch and ring the doorbell and run like crazy. And you imagine their joy of sharing. You know how wonderful it is when you teach your kids to give and you teach your children to share. I mean, don't we do that when they're kids? No, it's mine. No, honey, you're supposed to share. Well, wow, when your adults just understand it better and it gets better. So today, today, I know it's a chalkboard word, greed, greed, but man, the end is worth it. I want to pray today. Our prayer for us today um, is that we'd be willing to be sharers. This is not about Dorisville. It's not about the T word. It's about sharing with those around you. It's, it's about the ones who don't have, and you choose to share what you do have. It's, it's about understanding that we're stewards and not owners, and that is in next week's message that we're stewards, we're caregivers, watchovers, and not owners. And I'm telling you, it's an amazing thing. So would you bow your heads there, please? Thank you so much for your patience. Um, team's going to come up in just a moment, and we're going to have our invitation song. And this is one of those, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Um, I want you to just stay seated. 
you can open your eyes or close your eyes. It's a great song. But you can open your eyes or close your eyes. It doesn't matter. But I want you to have a dialogue. I want you to have a dialogue. Uh, not a monologue. I want you to have a dialogue. I want you and God to talk. You can, not out loud. Just in your heart. Maybe you want to start by telling him thank you. It, hasn't he blessed us incredibly? Can, can I tell you something? I know there's people in this room who will say, you just talk too much about yourself. I want you to know where we are. We've got this apartment over the garage that we rent out now as an Airbnb. <coughs> in 22 years when we bought that house, we never thought about that. But I walk over there. I don't go there too often. But I go there once while I'm sitting on that couch over there and watching Judy clean the apartment to clean after someone stays. I said, Judy, isn't it amazing that God gave this to us? We own this. Well, we get to steward this. Is there anything in your life that you feel that way about? You look at your home and say, wasn't God good enough to give that to us? Or maybe the cars you drive. Or the kids. Oh, I just thank God for my children. Isn't that cool? So have a dialogue this morning and just thank God. And then have the courage to say, now God, I acknowledge that all this is yours. My future is yours. What do you want me to do? And then if you're my age, or actually there are some younger who are preparing to retire, maybe ask God today, hey, God, what's the final chapter? What's the final chapter that you want me to live? Have a dialogue with God today. Now, the altar is open if you want to pray. Um, Brother Brent will be standing down front, okay? And if we can pray with you about anything, we certainly want to do that. And by the way, while you're having that dialogue, would you remember pray for Dave Parrott? He decided to follow Loy Owen and fall off a ladder. And I think nine broken ribs, a collapsed lung, a couple of brain spots, brain bleeds. So would you pray for him today while you're having that dialogue? And, of course, pray for Whitey McLean. He's now moved up north. Be praying for him. And, and Linda Upchurch is another one, Brent had pneumonia so and maybe you know someone who's hurting maybe someone who's still grieving pray for them too pray for them too so god i'm trying to wind this thing up by saying how great you are you are so wonderfully good you have blessed all of us beyond our wildest imaginations thank you for that so this time is your time if there's someone here who's never experienced that great forgiveness that grace brings, perhaps lead them today, take Brent by the hand, and say, I want to know Jesus today. And then if there are those that are hurting or those who just need to have a dialogue, may today be that day. And Jesus, I pray this in your special and powerful name. Amen.